Shot Golf Podcast. We are the San Francisco Golf Collective. This time, we're recording in three separate places because the power of technology compels all of us. My name is Greg Moraz, and I am talking with my co-hosts as always, Mike Finn. Mike, how are you doing this evening? Wonderful, boys. Good to see you. And the great Andy Smothers joining us all the way from Sacramento. Mr. Smothers, how are you doing this fine evening? Uh, doing great. The uh, smoke from the, the fire just left so I can see the sky and feeling fine. We're all feeling fine because we are talking gambling today. What do you like, Finn? What uh, what are you digging right now? No, I'm just saying I like this, uh, you know, this, it's a nice little unique setup we got going here. So uh, this will be the first of many, uh, you know, mobile uh, p- podcasts. So maybe in the future, you know, maybe we bring this on site. Maybe this is the first of different uh, formats we got going here. So I like it. We have recorded each of our first three episodes in person, all three of us together, but because life happens and we all have other stuff to do, it's a lot easier for us to hop on the internet and be able to talk to each other virtually. A couple of reminders before we get started. Number one, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. We've got six five-star ratings at the moment. We need a couple more reviews, so please make sure that you review our program as well. Secondly, tell your friends about the show, especially if they are golf friends. And number three, prospective partners. We would love to hear from you about sponsorship opportunities. You can email us. What is our email again? I actually forgot. So it's our opening for F-O-R-E at altshotpod.com. That's our website, altshotpod. So four at altshotpod. Shoot us a message. Give us your ideas. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Love to hear from you. It's really bad that I don't know the name of our email after all of the work that you put into our website and our email. Make sure you go check out our website, altshotpod.com. I was going to say, I I think this could be a good episode here. Maybe hopefully, um, you know, you guys out there could give us your feedback, what you agree, what you disagree with. you know, I think we're just going to maybe go run down some games that, you know, maybe we play on a typical weekend, maybe some games that we like to play a little bit more. Um, and then kind of some of the controversial rulings maybe we get into. So any feedback you guys got, send it our way, baby. So there was a host that was here in the Bay Area for a long time, and somebody made fun of him on another show with this robot voice. And it literally said, hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, gambling, 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 gambling. So for the first three episodes, we were hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. Today we are gambling, 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 because we are talking golf gambling today, which I believe is one of the more overshadowed parts of the golf culture. That's what I'd like to call it. There is a gambling culture within the golf culture. And I think that there are two parts of this that we want to talk about. I wouldn't say overshadow. I would say there, there's a probably pretty good crowd out there too. Oh yeah. It's definitely part and parcel of the game. I love how you say part of the culture. Cause that's when I think golf, I think gambling, they go hand in hand. I don't know if I can play without gambling. I can play without gambling probably because I don't like losing money, but there are two factors of golf gambling. There is the gambling that you do on the golf course, and that's while you're playing. And that, I think, brings a lot of added fun. Even if you're not playing for very much, it brings a lot of added fun to every round of golf. And then there is the gambling that you place your money on that you are not involved in. And I think that we wanted to dedicate a little bit of time to this topic because, as we have all alluded to, gambling is a big part of the golf culture. But I say overshadowed. Because we don't necessarily, when we talk about the game of golf with our friends and in the general public, not that we're sitting out on a street corner yelling, I hit a five iron on number five today! That would be really weird if you had some guy standing on a street corner and just yelling random facts about the most recent round of golf that he played. How about people, you know, not thinking off topic, but just yelling on the golf course is like incredible. Like people who yell on the golf course, do you like, 
am I wrong here? When you see like you're playing on a different hole and you see someone there like get in the hole. It's like, dude, like it's a Sunday. Like no one cares. No, I say I think people pay attention when when you've got a little something on the line and you know it and you can tell that these guys are sweating bullets over here. You know, nobody wants to watch somebody just you know play a regular round of golf. People when you got you know hundred bucks riding on a five foot putt. That brings the audience right there. I mean, isn't that why we watch pro golf to begin with? And then you throw a few hacks out there. That's a really good point, Mike. I, I just thought this guy was a total tool. And I'm like, maybe he was betting on it, huh? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's like, uh, you know, I know, you know, like anyone you watch, you know, you get paired with a couple of random people. Um, you know, it's always kind of an interesting subject that you, do you bring up right away? Like, hey, do you guys want to play for a beer or, you know, play for 10 bucks? Otherwise, you know, you're kind of just out there. Uh, you know, kind of some awkward conversation, you know, if you don't have a whole lot in common, you know, it's kind of two strangers just walking down the fairway, but you know, you throw 10 bucks on it. That's a really good point. Yeah. It kind of brings people. And, together. And when do you bring it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea of a beer or something low, you know, because you don't want to make it too high stakes because all of a sudden, you know, then it's like an adversarial kind of get together, but you're on the golf course there to, you know, have enjoy each other's company as well as the golf course. I think playing for something like lunch or a beer is what you do if you're paired up with somebody that's not your friend. I don't think that you play for straight-up cash when you are playing with somebody that you did not intend to play with when you set up your tea time. I also think, though... Depends on what you're in. <laughs> it you, you very much depends. I've, I've joined, a, joined a skins game out there at Harden. You know, you'll get paired with some randoms and... These guys got the itch, so they'll 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 throw out a little hundred dollar wager for for yeah. that. Yeah, that's context too, Mike. You know, because you're already going into it with with you know the appetite. That's right? true. That's true. So when you play and you play for money, you play in a stylistic form. Now there are some simple games that you can play, such as a Nassau, which is basically match play, and you play the front nine for a certain dollar value, the back nine for a certain dollar value, and then your overall is usually double what each of the nine values were. So I used to play with my dad when I was younger, dollar, dollar two. I mean, you're winning or losing four bucks at the most. Now, there are some games that are a little bit more complicated and require four guys in order to play. However, there are some games that, simplistically you can play with two and modify if you want to play with three and you don't have four guys. But I think that the objective is simply to build camaraderie within the group while also putting something on the line. Now there are games where you play for just straight up dollar values immediately. So like we talk about with a Nassau specific dollar amount for one nine, the other nine, the 18. And there are other games where you play for point values in which you assign dollar amounts or in some sense, no pun intended, cent amounts to certain points that you put out on the game. Now, a lot of money can change hands, but because of the frequency of how the points are structured, not a lot of money will actually change hands, if that makes sense. So opening it up to you guys, what type of game do you prefer? Where there's a set dollar amount that's put out before the round is started or a game where any amount of money can be won based upon how you structure the points. Well, Greg, before before I answer that question, I want to ask you one thing. When you're playing dollar dollar two with your old man, how heated was those events? I mean, you only got four dollars on the line, but you were into it, right? It doesn't matter about the money, right? You know, it really wasn't that heated, Smothers, because it's just something to get the competitive juices flowing. And here's the reason why I say that. And you guys will probably agree. And I think this is a good segue. When we don't play for anything, there is a tendency. And what I mean, don't play for anything. I mean, it in a two part sense of it, not playing for money or not playing in a competition. So if you're just out playing golf to just hit the ball, you get lazy. You maybe don't focus enough on what iron you're going to hit into the green. Maybe you hit driver somewhere because it's like, ah, screw it, when the shot on the hole calls for a fairway wood or a hybrid. You go up and you slap a putt without looking at both sides of it. So I think that when you play for something, it elevates your concentration because 
the element of competition will enhance your focus. I'm sure that that's definitely true for the both of you. Exactly. You got to play for something. I, I know sometimes, you know, we'll get out there and, you know, sometimes you play these games where the rules can be a little confusing. I was uh, doing a little reading, watching the video um, from the no lane up guys, Wolfhammer. You know, that's something where literally every single shot has something on the line. And I know, you know, some people, they, they can't, you know, can keep track of it all and, you know, they lose interest, but um, I don't know, maybe I'm the, the exact opposite, man. If you've got something where every single shot means something and, you know, whether it's 50 cents, a dollar, five bucks, 10 bucks, I mean, you'll quickly get focused when every single shot you start you know, losing money on every single one. Um, you know, Vegas, I think is a pretty popular one. Uh, I know it's got a few different names, um, but I don't know. I think that makes you a better golfer when you're playing for something that it, it, it makes it feel like a tournament, right? You know, when you start hitting five, six shots in a row that are not up to par, your wallet's going to feel it <laughs> pretty quickly. And how do you get through that? I mean, how do you respond and build that confidence back up, get in a rhythm? It definitely, it definitely makes the round more enjoyable because you're focused, you know, when you got something on the line. But for me, the dollar amount really is immaterial because it's all about bragging rights. It's about, hey, I beat you mano a mano, giving my quarter, giving my $10, my 50. I don't care what it is. It's just bragging rights. It's like that movie Trading Places where they literally, you know, they bet these guys lives for a dollar. You know, it's not really the dollar that's at stake. It's just the bragging rights, you know, and that's what makes it so great, you know, and it gets you so focused. Um uh, but to, to your point earlier, excuse me, your question, Greg, earlier, what's what? What do you like more, a set amount, or do you like the variableness? I like a variable uh, in this game, like baseball, where there's a lot of points getting thrown around, or you maybe a junk game because it keeps you in it. You know, you could be getting steamrolled, and then all of a sudden, you know, you make a birdie at the you know last hole, and you can kind of you know come back and, and at least save face a little bit, and only hand over a twenty and not a hundred. Uh, so that, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's baseball, you know, allows you. Uh, I think typically we play, uh, you know, once you get down 10 points, you're allowed to press. Um, and then that basically just doubles the points for the rest of the nine holes. So anything that involves more presses, more action, you know, give me a good Aloha press towards the end. Uh, big fan. Of How do you play the nine pointer on baseball? So the, the sweep that, that, you know, the elusive nine point win is that, how do you play that? What are your rules? You can do it multiple ways. So, you know, some people play, if you birdie, it's all nine. Um, Straight birdie, even if a guy pars it, doesn't matter. Straight birdie. Yeah, straight birdie. That nine. can get out of control. I think one time we had a guy birdie five holes in the back nine, so he was up 45 to nothing basically on those five <laughs> holes. So we had four holes in the back five points. So, so uh, you play baseball a little bit different than I play baseball. So I'd like to – or maybe we're playing the same way, but the way that I play baseball, it's always in a threesome, and there are always – differentiating point values on every hole. And, and if everybody ties, then it's three, 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 but we don't have it structured, at least the way that I've played it. We don't have it structured to where somebody can get shut out on a hole. So I've played it where it was birdie with a caveat birdie and win by two. So if I made a birdie and y'all made bogeys, I get those nine. Yeah. But Finn's saying that you could just straight birdie it and get nine. And that's dirty. Yeah, no, we determined that was not a uh, fun way to play it. So I think the birdie win by two rule has uh, trumped, trumped the other ones there. So Can I throw this out there? What about just win by two in general? I made a par and, and you two schmucks made double. Haha, do I get those nine? I think that's also a fair. You can go, I say you go either win by two or the birdie win by two. It just depends on, you know, whether you got a lot of birdie players, scratch players, or, you know, a lot of, you know, higher handicaps. So. But you'd have yeah, to win by two on each of your yeah. other two players. Because exactly. if you win by one Correct. on one player, then you're going 5-3-1. Yeah, you, you quickly bring in the team element when you've got your opponent out there. Uh, you know, you're already in your pocket for the double bogey. And uh, your other guy's in for birdie. You're now strongly rooting for uh, your opponent to uh, basically make his putt and save you some bucks there. So I think that that, that brings in – that's a pretty popular one that we play. Um What's the one? Vegas, I think we mentioned that earlier. That brings some pretty high variance in there. Uh, I don't know. Briefly explain Vegas. I'm not too familiar. So Vegas is your true degenerates game. Um, also known as Peppers, um, some of our friends have called it. Um, up in the Sacramento region there by you there, Andrew. Um, basically, it combines your team score. So say on the first hole, Greg and I are partners. 
and you and somebody else are partners. I make a four on, say I make a birdie four, Greg makes a par five, and you make a six and a seven. Our score, 45. Your score, because the birdie typically would just be 67 if we just made two fives, your score is flipped because of the birdie to 76. Say Greg and I both birdie, our score is 44. Your score flips and doubles. Instead of 76, you got, what's that, 152? So we can quickly get out of control with birdies, um, flipping scores. If you don't make a net par, that is also a flip of the uh, score right there. So you're basically just, each holds its own separate little match where you're, you know, tallying your scores together. Um, and at the end, you know, basically the winning team always has the honors. And until, you know, it, every hole is its own little match. So it's, it, it, you can, you know, let's, 20 let's bucks, get this going. You've piqued my interest. Doubling points, flipping scores. I'm interested. Let's do this. I am over my head in regards to this game. <laughs> and I don't think that I could figure it out. Do a little but Google let, search of Vegas. I will after we're done because on the recording device that I'm working on right now, I may shut us all out of the internet if I decide to open up another tab. That's just kind of how it goes. I want to throw out a game to you guys that I actually think is really fun. It's called Amigo. Have either of you two guys played Amigo? No, tell me more. It's the same, it's the same, same game. No, it's not, is it? That's on, so there's multiple variations between Amigo, Vegas, Peppers. Each one, you know, depending on where you're from, it's going to you know have its own few different little caveats here and there. So... Uh, I believe it's the same game if I've played before. So Amigo is unique because your partners change on every hole. And here's how your partners... It's somewhat like Wolf, but not really. The strategy comes in the last guy to hit. So in the rules that I've played by Amigo, it is basically a team high-low best ball for each of the group. And you basically earn your points by, you know, winning the high ball or winning the low ball on your best ball. Your partner is based upon where you hit your drive. So let's say that we're playing in a foursome. The two of us, the three of us, and let's just call Jim Bob. So I hit my drive and I'm on the left side of the fairway. Finn hits his drive and he's on the right side of the fairway. Smothers hits his drive, and he's right in the middle of the fairway. So basically, what Jim Bob does determines who is his partner for that hole. If Jim Bob blows it way right of the fairway, Smothers and I are partners. He and Finn are partners. If he hits it left of Smothers, but right of me, actually, if he just hits it left of Smothers, then he and I are partners. Finn and Smothers are partners. So basically, it's the two farthest left and the two farthest right on every hole. And you do that the entire like time. That. And you also do it on the par threes, but the par three is a different variation. The par three is if anybody hits the green, they can choose whoever they want if they are the closest to the hole as their partner on that hole. They can choose whoever oh, they can want. Get very personal. Yes. I can I can see that getting very oh, you can't chip. You're not my partner, you know? Well, it also depends on if anybody else hits the green. If all four hit the green, then it's a much more difficult choice. So the longer the par three, the better a chance you have of winning the hole. But if nobody hits the green, it goes by the rule on a par four or a par five, two furthest left, two furthest right. Now, speaking of missing the green, what, can we talk about Murphy's? Uh, this is something that uh, came up, uh, you know, relatively recent in my in my golfing career. Uh, and a Murphy is pretty much if you miss the green and you're playing with your partners, it could be just, you know, a buddy, just two some, a threesome, a foursome. And you call Murphy, you're predicting that you get up and down. You're putting a unit of bet on the table. And if you don't get up and down, you owe them each a unit. Now, someone, if they want to, can call a Mick Murphy. And essentially calling your bullshit. 
and saying, no, you ain't getting up and down. And I think this is a great addition to any game, no matter what you're playing, because it tests your short game. It really uh, kind of adds a little bit of camaraderie to the uh, the game. Uh, question for you, Mike, because you introduced me to Murphy's. Who is this mythical Murphy man? That I do not know. Um, I imagine he is another, you know, just degenerate gambling Irishman, kind of like myself. Um, you know, <laughs> the junk has many forms. You know, a lot of people, you know, we do our sandies, our birdies, our greenies. Those are kind of your standard that you see in your every Saturday morning match. Uh, you know, polies, I think, are pretty popular. Uh, that's defined as a one putt or better, correct? Uh, that is for any par. Any par or better outside the length of a flag stick is a pulley. Uh, so you can two putt a pulley? Uh, if it meets that criteria, you can. Depending, yes. I see. I think we. I need to post a poll or put a poll out there, and let's 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 get some feedback because I learned the pulley is a one putt for par or better. Uh, could be an eagle, could be a par, could be a birdie, but it's a one putt because let's face it, you're supposed to two putt a green. Hey, right? if you want to blow your first putt past by 15 feet every time, be my guest and I will take your money after you lose the match. <laughs> See, I just feel like under that definition, we should maybe change the name of a pulley to maybe a barf bag because all you did was prevent barfing all over yourself because you two putt. Hey, yeah, that's another <laughs> Finn and I played at Green Hills on Saturday. And the 15th hole, where Finn's tee shot was and where the flag was, that would have been the two-putt of all time. So sometimes a two-putt is an absolutely phenomenal result based on how big the green is and where the flag on the green is. So I definitely think... Yeah, there's no stipulations. I mean, if you, hit a, if you hit a par five and two and you two-putt, I mean, hey, that's... You met the definition. You made a birdie that, with a pulley. I see. I, I think for me personally, it's a one putt for par better with a caveat on a par five because you're likely going to have a long putt. But I think you made a really good point, Greg. There are some greens where two, I played uh, Dark Horse uh, the other day and I had a couple of putts where I, no matter what I did, I had 30, 20 feet, you know, coming back for that second putt. You're putting on elephants. So I don't know. Maybe we put a pull up and just see what people feel about it. You know, I, I, I think that's not a bad idea. Um, I, I would be interested to hear, you know, some of these other losing arguments for the on the uh, one putt pulley side. Shot fire. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to go back, uh, I think the Murphys. Um, I love Murphys. Uh, the first time I was introduced to them uh, was by a buddy of ours, uh, Preston. And it was a third guy. I never met him before. He's the one that actually came up with it. And we were playing, you know, I think it was like $5 junk. And so, you know, you start, you know, getting yourself, you almost start aiming to miss screens just barely enough so you can, you know, start collecting your Murphys and one putts. But uh, we had a guy also recently, a friend of the show, Brian Thompson, um, a couple months ago, we're out there playing. And I believe he called Murphy on the first 13 holes in a row. <laughs> um, some may say How'd that missing out? a lot of greens. There were some Murphy calls coming from the fairway, from 100 yards out, 50 yards out, short-sided bunkers, tees of par threes. Uh, you know, the tees on the par three, maybe they weren't converted, but they certainly got a Mick Murphy call. That is for certain. Uh, I believe he still came out on top on that. But uh, That's some confidence. What are your thoughts on the Murphy with a putter, though? I mean, if you're on the fringe, you're technically not on so the green. come up with a new rule. You cannot use a putter for the Murphys. So Love that. You can be on Love the fringe, that. an inch off the green. And it comes out, there's where your creativity comes out. Maybe you blade your wedge. Maybe you use a hybrid. It makes you a better golfer. Murphys, I think, are an element of the game similar to, you know, just gambling in general. If you, The more pressure you can put on yourself and then you can respond to it, you're going to be, become a better player in the long run. So, yeah. One aspect of gambling that I don't think we've discussed yet and I think is maybe the most simple form if – People are listening to this and saying, my head hurts. I don't understand all of this is the simple skins game, which if you're playing amongst a group of friends where you're playing in multiple groups is a great way to invest a little money and then end up earning a lot, especially on golf courses where you don't find a lot of birdies. And the reason why is that if you're on a golf course where you don't make a lot of birdies, 
the birdies that are made will make you a lot of money. So, for instance, if you're playing a skins game and you've got eight guys, you got two foursomes, you each put 20 bucks in, you all play your round, you come in at the end of the day and you match up all your numbers. If anybody has, and now a lot of people will play birdies only on skins, they won't do pars for skins. But if you have a birdie on a hole and nobody else does, you earn a skin. And basically, however much money you earn is the amount of skins that are earned divided by, uh, rather, the pot amount divided by the number of skins that are earned in general. And that gives you your dollar amount per skin. And however many skins you win, that's the dollar amount you get. Yeah, skins are a great game. I know they used to have a skins game on ABC uh, with a lot of the heavy hitters back in the day. I don't know what happened to that. I think it was right after uh, Thanksgiving or around Christmas time. Uh, they should bring that back. But they did a carryover. They didn't divide um, the skins. And that that's what I wanted to ask you guys. Do you like just dividing skins by, you know, four skins? You know, we're one. So let's divide the pot by four. Do you guys like carryovers? Uh, I think it depends on how many people you're playing with. So if, if you're only playing with four people, uh, I think you set the skins for as each skin is a certain dollar amount, like maybe $2 uh, or $5, whatever. And then your carryovers are okay. Four people, you know, your own group carryovers, I think are good. Um, when you're playing, that's the beauty of skins. You can play skins game with 20 people, 60 people, uh, you know, and, you know, obviously there's gonna be fewer skins one, the more people you have, but um, I, I kind of like a good, yeah. When, when only four people, you've got a little, uh, carryover skins game and you know same thing you, know, you might play terrible all day and then that's luck of the draw that's why they call it gambling you know that, that one guy makes a birdie on the 16th hole after all the carryovers takes all the money so i'm personally not a huge fan of playing it if you're only with four people i'd, I'd, I'd choose you know another game maybe like vegas or amigo but yeah because you know there's really only one winner on skins it seems right with four people if you're doing carryovers especially it seems like one guy just kind of takes all the skins wins. is a much better game if you're playing with more than ten people. I think the yeah, more people better. you have, the more justifiable playing skins is and smothers, you brought up something good in our chat, and that's the validation on skins so validation is basically. You have to, and this is more when you're playing net skins than straight up gross skins. And when I was in college, I ended up playing in a group that had a lot of higher handicappers in it. So they played net skins. I didn't win a lot of skins, but basically you have to make a par on the hole after you would earn that skin or else that skin is completely negated. So that is what you call validation. And I got to ask, do you guys like that i'll say this if you're playing straight up gross skins then no if you're playing net skins i think that it's actually worthwhile because you can get a lot of guys that are complete sandbaggers that will in some form or another bend the rules a little bit to have a higher handicap wouldn't that hurt yeah, handicap, yeah wouldn't that hurt I, I, if they have a higher yeah, handicap, I like that, aren't Greg. they going to make their net par right after and then they claim their skin well they might be leaking oil a little bit after making that birdie. Uh, you know, it's it's a little harder when you're higher handicapped to, you know, keep it going, I think. I kind of like, uh, I, again, it depends on who you're playing with. I think if you're playing with three other grinders in your group, I think the validation is pretty fun. Um, same thing. The more pressure, you know, the better your game's going to be in the long run. So I, I like validations um, just because it, it puts more pressure on you. So you got to respond. Go shoot even uh, You know, <laughs> You know, if, if we're doing validation, okay, I accept it. But my personal pin is no, I don't like it. I mean, what's the whole point? I mean, the whole point of a skin is I won the skin. I won. You know, it's not like, okay, in the Olympics, here we got the Olympics going. You won the gold. All right, can you do it again? Like, no, you just won the gold, dude. You won the whole thing, you know? Like, why you got to validate yeah. it again? But I get it. If, if, if that's the rules, I'm into it because uh, it does apply more pressure and everyone's got to play by the same rules. So I think the you know, one it is similar fair. to uh, skins. This is another form, uh, another game that, I think is played locally um, a little differently depending on what course you're at is uh, rabbits. I don't know if you guys have ever played the rabbit game, but uh, typically, um, you know, the, the way we like to play it, there's three rabbits. You'll do three, six hole rabbits. You can determine the value of a rabbit. Uh, however much, you know, typically I think we do like $10. 
And basically, if you win two holes, once someone wins two holes, uh, you've won that rabbit. So first hole, I go out, I, I'm the low score. I've got one leg of the rabbit. Second hole, say the second hole, Greg, you win the second hole. The rabbit is now running again. So it's back to all square. Third hole, I win it again. I've now got one leg of the rabbit again. Fourth hole, if I win that fourth hole and I get two legs, rabbit is done, you start a new rabbit. So then you start another sixth hole rabbit starting on the fifth, and then same thing, you repeat. So towards the end, you're gonna probably have, you know, maybe only a, maybe the third leg of the, or third rabbit ends on like 15 or 16. Typically, um, the person who's losing can then determine the value of that last rabbit. Uh, so say it's only a two-hole rabbit, person who hasn't won anything all day, they can name the value. They can either lose more or potentially dig themselves out of a hole and win some more. What if a rabbit goes unfinished? Correct. Yeah, that can happen. If you go down to 18, you know, if, if nobody's got any leg of the rabbit. Uh, but if you have one leg of the rabbit on 18, you still win that. You don't have to win both to claim it. Two legs, once you get two legs, it just ends it and starts a new one. So say at the end of the sixth hole, if you're still carrying one leg of it, it's the last hole of the first rabbit. So you win that rabbit. So it's kind of fun. It's the same thing. It's kind of like a team game. Um, after someone's got a leg, you know, you're all kind of playing against that one guy. Um, and it's a simple way to, you know, you set, you can only lose so much um, typically at the beginning of the day. Um, so it's kind of a fun, you know, way of, it's kind of like a combination of skins and um, I don't know, whatever another team game is. So. Mike, I've played in uh, many rabbits over at Glen Eagles. I've had no idea what's going on. It's been explained to me by countless peoples, and I will say that you just did the most succinct explanation of the rabbit game. I understand it now, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, it seems a little confusing at first, but it, it's uh, you know it's pretty easy. What, what, what's I just give my money. And go, did I win? Did I win? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why gambling is fun, right? A lot of people, <laughs> you know, a lot of people that don't want to learn the rules of some of the games. That's when it's not quite as fun, just because you know it can seem intimidating, but. I think once you learn the rules of some of these games, that's what kind of will get your mindset going. Like, okay, like this shot means a lot. Like, and you feel really good about, you know, making a 10 footer for par or, you know, helping out your teammate over there. And and it's, it's, it's camaraderie, man. You're building, it's a team game. Um, You're building confidence. You're, you're answering to pressure. So hopefully that can carry over maybe into tournament play. if, If you've got that going, coming up. I will say one thing to bring up what Smothers mentioned about going out to Glen Eagles and playing rabbits out there. Do not, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that bounces around from golf course to golf course, don't go to a golf course and agree to play in a game before you know what it is, especially on a golf course where home course advantage is crucial. And there are a lot of golf courses where home course knowledge is critical. Um, Mike, you and I just played Green Hills down in Millbrae. That's a golf course where course knowledge is critical because of how tight it is. And just the warning for that is that, look, you may think that you have the ability to compete with whoever you're playing with, but if you don't know the rules of the game and you don't know the golf course, you could end up losing a lot of money. Now, there's a lot of pride for people out there, but make sure that, number one, you're comfortable with the game and the rules of the game, and number two, that you're comfortable with the golf course that you're playing it on. Because as much fun as playing for money is, it can get dangerous if you're put in an adverse situation. Whatever whatever it is, just don't play whatever you That's why I love Michael Jordan. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just change, maybe switch the subject here. Kind of the most famous gamblers out there we got. And this is why golf is so great. You hear these stories of people that, you know, they've got deep pockets. They love competition. Um, so Jordan, I think at his home course, Ricky Fowler was saying that, uh, you know, you walk up to that first tee and you ask, hey, like, what are we playing for? Jordan will basically tell you, uh, hey, whatever makes you feel uncomfortable. And, <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you're not comfortable losing $10, you know, you don't play. But he's, you know, he's probably paying for $10,000 or, you know, $100,000. Um, those are the best gambling stories you hear that are, you know, some of them are, you know, legendary, you know, tales that who knows whether they're true or not. Um, 
I think Phil Mickelson, you know, that's kind of the beginning of the match. Uh, all these matches that we've seen, you know, he's notorious for getting some big money games going uh, and practice rounds of the PGA Tour. So I know Keegan Bradley, um, they've been pretty, they go back and forth with him, Fowler. Um, I think there's been people. How much How much money are you talking about? Is this like we're watching high stakes poker, you know, or like, I mean, is this 20,000? What, what are some of the numbers you've heard? I think it's, you know, they don't really talk about it a whole lot, um, you know, with Jordan, you know, in the early 90s, Jordan was pretty notorious for, you know, he'd go out there before a basketball game, uh, play 18 holes. I think a story was of Jeremy Roenick. They're out there playing before one of the uh, finals games. And Jeremy Roenick takes him for like 2500 bucks. They go, Jordan wants to go again. He's like, all right, let's play it for double. He loses again. And, uh, you know, Jordan loses twice. And before the game, he's had like 12 beers and he's going to go play that night. And he says, all right, double or nothing again on, uh, you know, whether I score, we're going to win by 20 and I'm going to score more than 40. Ronick's like, that's a no brainer. You've been drinking all day. Of course, Jordan goes and scores like 46 and they win by 24. So, I mean, these guys are playing for uh, <laughs> <laughs> 2,500. So is he Babe Ruth? That's a Babe Ruth story. I had no idea. Oh no, there's all sorts of those stories out there. Dude, you do some research, you know, on Michael Jordan and some of his tales. So this guy, uh, that's what kind of led me to. This, there was a guy in 92 also, um, you know, th- some may say this is when Jordan was forced to retire maybe because of his gambling habits and maybe it wasn't such a good look for uh, the league, but uh, Jordan was known to play, you know, 36 a day, every day. And a guy, uh, what is his name? He basically wrote a book about, uh, it's called Michael and Me, Our Gambling Addiction, My Cry for Help. This guy, Richard Esquinas, I think is how you probably pronounce it, was kind of the one to kind of tell all about how much some of these matches were for. And that's a big no-no. You you don't disclose how much you're playing for. And uh, Mickelson also, I think there was a rookie on tour one year. Um, I think he was like 17 years old. I forget who it was. but Ty Tryon? What's that? Was it Ty Tryon, the 17-year-old rookie? No, it was a guy. It's a name you would recognize. Um, it, it, I can't remember off of my head, but you know the guy takes Phil for you know like two thousand bucks or something like that, and then announces it when he turned pro like a year later, and Phil was not happy. So uh, some of these matches, man, it's you, you don't know how much they're playing for, and you know, like I was saying, a lot of some guys, you know, on the current PJ Tour right now, Tony Finau, that's how he got his start. Um, in when he was 17, he turned pro because somebody backed him in a game called the Ultimate uh, Game, I believe it was called, in Las Vegas in 2007. People put up, there were 40 guys that put up $50,000 of their own money, and all 40 people played match play, and 10 people qualified out of that, uh, and each of them would win $100,000. And then two more from the losers bracket got out of there and got their fifty thousand dollars money back. But that's how Tony Finau got his start. Other names that played in that game, fun fact: uh, Scott Piercy was the winner of it, and the winner two million dollars. So t- Scott Piercy is twenty eight years old, journeyman on these mini tours. You, you get a bunch of guys backing them, and you know fifty th- or fifty thousand bucks. You know he probably got to keep half of it, I think, but. Uh, that could be the greatest purse ever won by a non like PGA tour player. I mean, I know Jason bone won a million bucks. Uh, didn't go to college cause he got a hole in one. Uh, had to not go to Alabama. Yeah. That's like a famous video. It's on the sports center top 10. Yeah. Million bucks. It's like, you want to college? Uh, I'll take a million. Yeah, no, but I mean, like back in the, the day, you know, they had, you know, and still to this day, there's people, there, there's games like this that happen all over the country. Right. But, uh, you know, guys that played in that, out of the 40, Tony Finau was the name, his brother Gipper. This was before they were uh, on the big break, I think. Um, basically, they had been dominating the Utah uh, Amateur Tour, and they're, somebody backed them. They were like, this is the best golfer I've ever seen. Like, you're going to go play in this, and you're going to go win $2 bucks. He ended up getting 100000 but that jump-started his career. You guys, I would do a pay per view for these. Like, I would pay a couple bucks to watch some of these matches, okay. just because you know the pressure and like these guys' careers are on the line. It was on TV, so it got broadcast. Uh, they played it at the Win in Las Vegas, and you could gamble on it if you were there. Um, other guys, Kevin Streelman played in it. Eric Compton. Um, then you had like these random dudes. You had a forty-eight-year-old club pro uh, from like Virginia. 
You had uh, another guy, actually, Rick Roden. I don't know, Greg, does that name ring a bell? I've heard that name before, but I don't remember where. So Rick Roden, uh, 48-year-old at the time, I believe. He was a former all-star pitcher. And this guy, I think he's played in the uh, Celebrity Classic up in Tahoe. But... He has. He has. I think he was one of the earlier winners, or, or maybe the, the record holder for lowest score. Yeah, so this guy like played in it. Um, you had, let's see. The, so the loser in the finals, they, it was like they were coming down to it. So it went to stroke play with those 12 guys. And this guy, Ken Jarner, he was a local caddy, actually, at the win there, um, was kind of going, battling out with Scott Piercy. But uh, he was kind of like a journeyman on the Nike tour. He's actually from Santa Rosa and, you know, traveled the country, just like this dude that played in all these money games, hustled people. And uh, so Scott Piercy, though, the ultimate winner, he was saying he got his experience from playing in this few years before is when they started it. They were playing $7,500 a hole um, with a backer. They were down 20 grand after the front nine and ended up still coming back and winning 10 grand. So, I mean, a lot of these pros, man, you, you, they, they get their start playing in local money games. You know, Rich Beam, I think it was, uh, Bud Sweat and Tease. I don't know if you guys have read that book. I have no interest in Rich Beam. He just seems a little bit too zany for me personally, but. Oh, I'm a bit, I'm a big, so I actually learned how to play golf at Picacho Hills in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And Rich's uh, father was the coach there at New Mexico state, uh, which Lee Trevino said was one of the best back nines he's ever played. And Rich Beam had a locker at uh, the course I had my first birdie on. So very uh, special place in my heart for Beam, but I, he does seem a little loosey goosey. I can see where you're coming from. Well, that's but I, like I think he, he played at the club in Texas where he was basically hired for, for that reason to play in like the members game. And he's in the pro shop working, and I think I don't know who it was. If um, who's the guy? Harvey Penick. I don't know if it was Harvey Penick's club. I, I might be mistaken here, but basically the head pro was like, "Hey, man, I didn't hire you to work in the pro shop here. I hired you to go play in this game, and then you know get to know these members and go go win some money." And then when he went and won that PGA, the entire club was rooting, hollering behind him. So I mean, you get you get a lot of support systems built. Um, when you see these, you know, young aspiring pros playing, you know, a lot of it is it's it's a business, right? When you, you talk gotta... about caddies and you talk about backers, the original The Match, the book that was written by Mark Frost, I believe, about the match between Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan and Ken Venturi and Harvey Ward. We are the SF Golf Collective. This is something that is very near and dear to our hearts. The match that happened at Cypress Point because Eddie Lowry, who you guys know as the caddy in the greatest game ever played, was basically employing high-level amateur golfers as his car dealers. He owned a car dealership, or maybe a series of car dealerships in San Jose, and was making money by backing high-level amateur players to go play in, the, in these high-stakes games. And I remember from the book, if you haven't read the book, it's phenomenal, and there should be a movie about it. But... Eddie Lowry gets talking a big game and there's this oil tycoon from Oklahoma and Lowry's like, I bet my two amateurs Venturi and Ward can beat any two players that you put up there. So this oil tycoon who is from the South, either Oklahoma or Texas. And I say Texas because he goes and recruits probably the two greatest players from the state of Texas of all time, Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan. And so the whole book is about a bet between this Oklahoma tycoon and Lowry on their set of two players. And another great game, like legendary gambling story that's not true because it's a movie, is Caddyshack. The final match in Caddyshack where Judge Smales and Dr. Beeper have <laughs> Ty Webb and Danny Noonan beat... And Danny Noonan only got them back into the match because Rodney Dangerfield or Al Chervik broke his arm. He basically was playing so bad. He anniversary just yeah, happened. it was 30th anniversary in 2018. So beautiful. You guys know that course really exists. Bushwood Country Club. Haven't it's, you been uh, there, Andrew? 
I've actually, yeah, I've actually played there. It's called Grand Oaks. It's in Plantation, Florida. Uh, it's just outside of uh, Miami. It's a suburb of Miami. And you recognize a lot of the holes, the country club, like, you know, where they're having the dinner and the kid goes <laughs> into the portion barfs and stuff. You recognize everything. Little known fact, there is no pool there. The pool scene with, uh, no you know, I think it was a, no duty was ever at the golf course that was actually shot at an outside location, but you can play that golf course. Uh, it does exist. Let's, we'll put that on the uh, calendar. Well, I'll also say this. When we talk about the gambling match, the fact that Judge Smales agreed to a double or nothing on one putt, that's what's the most legendary part about that. Like, you have the match in the bag, and you're basically going to decide the fate of the match based on whether or not this one guy makes a putt. I mean, that's legendary. And and maybe Judge Smales... classic Aloha. Well, you can also tell like how uncomfortable people were because you saw Dr. Beeper getting his fake uh, doctor calls while he was on the golf course. So there's a lot of great gambling stories, real or fake, on the golf course. And I want to do transition to something real as we wrap it up here on our out-of-bounds segment, a little bit shorter. We've talked about actually gambling on the golf course and pros that have been gambled on with people directly on the golf course. But we haven't talked about the common man, the everyman, betting on golf. And there are multiple ways you can do it. But daily fantasy sports has been really the new wave of golf gambling where you can pick a lineup, you stake a... You know what? I actually don't know how daily fantasy works when it comes to golf. Do one of you have a better yes. uh, explanation Rose for me? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mike, uh, please, please explain. Uh, so Daily Fantasy Sports uh, picked up in 2007. Um, that's when it started. Uh, I believe that was kind of the end of, you know, poker on ESPN was getting big, and then it got banned. Um, so Daily Fantasy Sports picked up then. And there's a big distinction uh, made actually in Congress uh, between daily fantasy sports and sports betting. So they declare that daily fantasy sports is a game of skill, while sports gambling is uh, a game of luck, which allowed it to you know, go through Congress and be approved um, under the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act of 2006. Um, so da- since then, daily fantasy basically, you know, at first – Sports betting has a negative stigmatism, I think, you know, around it. Um, a lot of people, you know, Pete Rose, people stay away from it. Michael Jordan, you know, t- touchy subject in the early 90s. But once Daily Fantasy came out, it was kind of accepted by these leagues. And the popularity and growth has just exploded. Um, so I'll throw out a couple of numbers, actually. This is kind of crazy. I asked a couple of coworkers today about this, and they were way off uh, with their estimates. But... If you guys could take a guess, take a guess at how, what percentage of Americans 18 and over uh, placed a bet on sports in uh, 2017. 17? Is this, and do you have numbers compared to like today or is this just the only number? No, just so like well, we're comparing just 2017. This is the stats okay, 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 okay. from uh, the Fantasy Sports and I'm, I'm going Pretty close. I'm going to say 45%. Nope. 19% of Americans 18 and over uh, bet on uh, daily fantasy sports. And that's up 6% uh, from 2014. So, But here's the more staggering number. In 2007, when all this started, there were 19.4 million people playing fantasy sports in USA and Canada. Take a guess in 2017 how many people that went up to. Oh, double? Triple? <laughs> Pretty close. 59.3 million. So daily fantasy sports has, you know, grown. You know, it's I, I think the av- average demographic is 18 to 34. Um, you know, it's all your college-age guys, you know, young professionals. But uh, daily fantasy has taken off. 
for me, DFS is is a, is a way to get really engaged uh, in whatever you're watching. Like, I love to do it for the Sunday night football games. Just, you know, I like pick up the backup tight end and pray that he gets a touchdown or something. But at the end of the day, I'm starting to realize that DFS is really just like a lottery ticket. And this British Open uh, really opened my eyes to that. Because I thought for golf, if you pick six guys and one of they all make the cut and you pick the winner, you're going to have a good chance to, you know, come into a payday. And for the British Open, I picked Morikawa, who won the event. I had six guys who made the cut. They did really good. At the end of the day, I got four to one. Womp, womp. You know, like if you just bet on Morikawa, you would have got 40 to one. You know, I just, I kind of feel like it's a lottery ticket. Even though it's fun, yeah. you really got to get lucky. So your daily fantasy, you know, you, you've got your set dollar amount salary that you can, that you start with. Everyone starts with 50 grand, right? And you pick your six players to complete your lineup. So obviously the better players are going to cost a little bit more. There's certainly a skill to this. Um, I know a buddy who he's been invited down to Miami for the Super Bowl um, because he was so good at it during football. Um, and so they bring all the top guys down there after the regular season and they, you know, live broadcast it all. And, you know, there's probably 100 or so people competing in this auditorium. But he does fantasy golf as well. And it's insane. Like we're out there playing, you know, our regular Sunday you know, a little team game, you know, for what, 50 bucks, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's out there paying attention to his phone because he's in, co- uh, you know, competition for, you know, swings between, you know, third place and seventh place with the difference is like 20 grand. And I'm like, wait, 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 how did you get so good at this? <laughs> so I yeah, no, you got it. You got to finish, you know, top 10. You got, you normally know, DFS things got like 5,000, 20,000 entries. Yeah. And if you finish a hundredth, like no one cares, but once you break top 10, yeah, you're talking big change. Yeah, I mean, you can start off. There's, there's every pay level, you know, you can start with a dollar, you can start with $5, $10 and then work your way up. Um, this guy's playing in some of the larger buy-ins. So there's obviously less people playing in it, but um, you know, it, it's a fun way to kind of get involved with every, you know, the weekly tournament. Um, oh yeah. I'm not very good at it myself. I like the one rounders, Mike, try the, the Thursday opening round or the Sunday. They do Sundays only you too, Greg. I don't know if you do uh DFS, but they're, they're super fun for one round. I don't do DFS. Never have probably never will throw 20 bucks in there. You can start doing the one dollar <laughs> tournaments. It's a good way to, you know, it keeps everyone. Kind of they got crazy. 10 centers. They got 10 centers. Man. You learn a lot about, you know, random guys that play really well at certain tournaments. Um, like that's, I, I don't know what algorithms he's using or what spreadsheets he's got, but this guy is, cons- I think he has deep blue by the sounds of it. I mean, whatever it is, I'm just, it, it's really fun. I mean, you can get lost in, you know, some of these, um, you know, depending on, you know, what YouTube channels you listen to or, um, I don't know. It, it educates you about the game a little bit. Um, and you know, depending on your risk tolerance, it doesn't have to be too expensive, but, um, you yeah, know, daily fantasy, pretty fun. Um, they actually, so California, it's still out, outlawed sports betting is, but, uh, we can play daily fantasy. I learned that. I was wondering why I was kind of like, wait, uh, I'm not really sure how DraftKings allows us to play. And that's when I learned the difference between daily fantasy and then straight sports betting. Yeah. So for me, Mike, the the distinction you made was a game of skill versus game of chance. And I personally would just flip that on its head. I actually think DFS is more chance just because it's kind of got some lot. It feels like it's a lottery aspect in some ways where if you take an individual outcome, I think there's more skill there, but whatever, regardless, I do want to talk about something that gets slept on. And uh, so you can normally bet on a golfer to win a match. Okay. And you'll get odds, right? 10 to one, 20 to one, sometimes a hundred to one. What people don't know about is you can actually bet on golfers to go top 10 and top five. Now, this is a huge deal because let me put this into perspective. When the Patriots were 19 or 18 and 0 Patriots, right? And they lost to the Giants. I was like, you know what? Before the Super Bowl, I was like, I'm gonna put 20 bucks on the Giants to win the Super Bowl. I didn't want the points. I said, let's just win. And in history, you know, in perspective, that was a huge upset. But what was my payday? Three to one. Not a big payday. Some of these golfers, like uh, Sebastian Munez, for example, if you bet for him to get a top five in a tournament, you're going to get like 10 to one. Is is him getting a top five more of an upset than the Patriots losing the Super Bowl? I don't think so. So I think there's a lot of value in golf betting because there are horses for courses. Okay, number one. And, and, and getting top five, top 10 is a lot easier than getting a win and getting over that hump, getting over that threshold. And I think uh, something that should be looked at. Yeah, no. So like the PGA Tour, you know, has figured out that like, hey, and along with all these other leagues, that there is a demand out there and that helps grow your sport. Um, so in 2017, you know, they created 
um, this program, I think it's called like the integrity program. Basically, you know, they created a committee of players to kind of oversee some of this stuff. Um, Justin Thomas, I think was on there. And one of his concerns was that, you know, a lot of this daily fanny stuff, people are live betting on their phones that it was going to become kind of a distraction with fans, maybe yelling at tournaments and stuff. But um, yeah, he, he was part of the player advisory council, but it's, they've since partnered with, you know, companies like, uh, I think FanDuel, oh no, yeah, FanDuel I think was one of them, uh, DraftKings, BetMGM, PointsBet I think is one that you can go on there and um, like you're saying, you know, like I was looking, I missed it, but I was looking to see if we could bet on the Olympic tournament um, just because it's, you know, something that's going to keep you engaged. Um, but it's, it's something that, you know, a lot of people try to say that sports betting is, you know, this oh, terrible thing and, um, you know, it's taking kids money or something like that. I think that's what President <laughs> Bush tried to, uh, that's why he shut down online poker too. But, um, with, with, with uh, normal spets, sports betting, you know, you bet on football, you know, you got to pick at a really high level to make money, right? Cause they got the juice, yeah. but with golf, I think there's a lot of value with these odds, man. And I think you can actually, you could do well. I know my biggest paydays personally have always been golf related. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to, you know, a guy that's you know, on either, like you can get 30 to one, 41 odds. Jimmy Walker, yeah. I think, was well, been he's, he's a friend of mine. Back when I was in college, right, just scrounging quarters for beer money, I bet on Zach Johnson to win the Masters at 150 to 1 and ended up getting season tickets to the Niners. It was like the greatest thing ever, man. And, like, it wasn't so unforeseeable for, you know, I just was like the guys won three times before, you know, to get 150 to 1 odds. We're going to be seeing it in know. more broadcasts. So, um, you know, they, they partnered with Peacock. You know, we're seeing Peacock popping up a lot on this streaming app. Uh, the PGA Tour uh, partnered with them and PointsBet uh, during the Waste Management Open, and they were offering something like over there were over 500 bets that you could choose from. So I mean, it's it's a fan experience it. to get you know a new demographic of people engaged with it. Um, you know, golf's a younger sport, especially now after COVID. Um, you've got a lot of people that pay attention to golf that maybe weren't before, and um, I don't know. People could say that's bad for the sport. You know, maybe. I would say it's great, great for the sport, but I think it's great. Anytime you can get engagement in the sport, I think it's going to grow the game. Totally, and you know you're missing out on tax revenue if you don't get this approved. So, <laughs> California is the biggest, <laughs> biggest uh, you know state out there with with potential. So, you know it's it's going to be interesting once we can actually legalize sports betting in general. And South Lake is the nearest uh, place you can make those bets. Just if anyone's out there yeah. in California, South Lake's not too far. Whoever's got hot tips, let's go. One other bet I think is worth bringing up is just a general field bet that you can, if you don't want to bet on any of the favorites in any tournament, a lot of casinos, a lot of sports books will give you the field option. And the field is usually about 30 to one. And if you don't really have a big knowledge base of certain golfers in the field and you don't really know which favorite you want to bet on and I think for a lot of tournaments it's really difficult to gauge whether or not a favorite is accurately uh odds did that's not a word or booked what happened handicap handicap, handicap. that's the word yeah. you're looking for yeah <laughs> I might just say odds did because that's now a word I like odds I like it. I'm going I like with it. it I'm going <laughs> I think you're right though Greg they don't odds it that well there's a lot of value no so it's like a lot of times, like I didn't look at what the odds were, but I have to imagine that the odds on Phil Mickelson to win the U.S. Open were not very good because of him winning the PGA Championship. Think about if he had not won the PGA, but he was competing in the U.S. Open or just like any golfer that isn't like a top 10 in the world golfer. Like what would their odds be? in one tournament based on whether they did or did not win a previous major. It's a big difference and you cannot gauge a golfer winning from week to week. Those odds are going to be worse. So, so gambling, you know, it's, it's not necessarily who you think is going to win. They're trying to break it out to how they can break even uh, the books. Right. So Dangle that carrot. Phil Mickelson was definitely up there because there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing, betting money on sports. So, you know, 
people are putting money on Phil Mickelson blindly. They don't even follow golf, but they're putting money on him. That's how, you know, that's, that's the difference maker right there. You know, that's how our buddy is going to Miami and watching the Super Bowl on our dime. But, but, but that's why I think a field bet is smart because if you end up getting a Richard Bland, friend of the show in spirit, that has a great Ooh, week, Richard. nobody's going to bet on a Richard Bland. But if I you bet the field, like the off-season tournaments, like the off-season tournaments. Wait a minute. The I actually bet on Richard Bland to win the British Open, just so you know, and I did lose that money. Sorry. No, but I think you do like, you know, like the Safeway Open is probably a good one that's coming up here in a couple uh, couple months up at Silverado. Like, I think that's a tournament where you, you throw out one of those field bets, right? Because you do have big name people coming through because um, now they're contractually obligated to play in a new tournament every three years. But, you know, that's typically was an off-season event. You didn't have a lot of big names. You got a lot of rookies coming in their first year. You know, a lot of people, first tournament, come in and win. Um, so, yeah, I, let's go Safeway Open. Let's let's all make some picks for the Safeway. And that's where we make our uh, either field oh, yeah. bet or 41 bet. On the topic of uh, Phil Mickelson and the Safeway Open, I, Cameron Champ won last week, right? I think it was his third win. He's yeah. 26 years old, which is really remarkable. The guy's made one top 10 this year. He, you know, he was kind of struggling, was, you know, having a lot going on, considered, you know, maybe taking a break. And here he is. He wins it. During the broadcast, they mentioned that the 54-hole leader has only won one time in the last 12 events, and that one time was Phil Mickelson. So I just want to just recap phil mickelson's win like wow 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 like on so many levels uh just like i can't believe he won i I know it's like a month later i'm getting goosebumps right now but like this is crazy and and from a gambling perspective what were the odds for phil mickelson to win the pga it must have been in the hundreds that would have been a good bet as we wrap it up here on our gambling episode of the alternate shot golf podcast we do have the olympic tournament coming up at whatever golf course they're playing in Japan. Any picks for you guys of, of guys that you think well, may already, stand a it chance? Already earlier. Um, I was watching. Shows you how closely I've been following the Olympics. <laughs> Come on, you got to stream that on Peacock uh, or your local NBC affiliate. But uh, yeah, no, they started, I think, at, uh, I want to say it was a wrap. I remember when I was at work, I saw somebody. Um, you know, striking the first tee shot. I think they're just wrapping up right about now. Um, but they are, let's see. My pick's going in. I, 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 w- I didn't really have any. I didn't actually handicap it too much. But I am rooting for the uh, Korean golfers, uh, Sung JM and uh, who's the other one? Um, I don't know who the other one is. But basically. Siwoo Kim. Siwoo yeah. Kim. Siwoo Kim. So basically these two guys, if they both medal, they get to avoid um, basically having to do their mandatory military service. And Sang Moon Bay is someone who, you know, a few years ago, I think in 2017, had to go. He was like just starting to peak his career and uh, had to take a break to go serve the military for two years, I think it was. And, uh, you know, it, it changed his career. He dropped from like 70th in the world to like 500. And so I'm rooting for both Sung JM. He's, you know, starting to crush it. Both, both those guys. So, I mean, I don't know if anything to keep their careers on track, um, you know, God bless your country. Got to serve your country, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm rooting for pulling for the, both those guys to medal. All right. I've got two guys I'm rooting for. Uh, before I get that to that, though, I am disappointed a little bit that it's only a 60-player field. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I mean, this is the Olympics. I did go over the rules. It's, you know, it, it's a very convoluted set of rules. But to have 60 players in the field, like, come well, on, let's get a tournament. full field event. No cut. No cut. Yeah, I mean, come on. Let's just get a little bit more, you know, uh, more uh, representation from the world stage. Okay, that's I'm just going to throw it out there. But my two guys I'm rooting for are Zimbabwe's representative, Scott Vincent, because I love me a good Cinderella story, ranked 239th in the world. Never heard of him. Love to see Zimbabwe on the podium. And the other guy is uh, Patrick Reed, because I want to see that uh, gold medal on a choker necklace. You know what I mean? (laughs) Late addition to the field. Yeah. I'm a troll, and I, let's go. Let's go. Do you guys want to know the results? So right now, Patrick Reed, three under. Uh, oh, wait, four under, excuse me, through 10. Just changed. Ooh. Live update. Um, he teed off late. I saw him hit his tee shot about right before we started this. 
no practice round. No practice round for Patrick Reed. He's just flying in, and so he could be sleepwalking his way to five, six hundred rounds. I mean, there's only fifty nine other people he's got to beat. So your guy Victor Hovland is coming into five under right now. Um, it's a ball strikers course. Where's Connors? Corey Connors is he up there? Um, I did see a picture of him and our guy Mackenzie Hughes earlier. Uh, there was a picture of them playing junior golf, but uh, I don't see his name towards the top of his leader unless I missed it. They got to get more people in there. Six. By the way, left. I'm really glad that they're playing this on a golf course that actually existed prior to the Olympics because the first time that they had golf in the Olympics in Rio, they built a golf course for it, and it looked absolutely horrendous. And all I mean, these all the commentators – no, it's probably not. All the commentators are trying to like describe this golf course like it's some historic track, and I'm looking like every hole <laughs> looks the same. Oh, wow. it's such a disaster. Yeah, no, this course, yeah, I want the clubhouse and It looks pretty cool. It actually kind of looks like some a course you might see in San Francisco. It kind of looks like it's surrounded by trees, um, and they look like large kind of uh, cypress trees. Um, but, I built in the 20s, so yeah, definitely old school uh, field. Yeah, work. there's some really big bunkers. I think it was a par three that, um, I don't know which hole it was, but they were saying it was the most how much correct pr- hole. What if Hideki wins? I mean, how much pressure? Do you think is on Hideki this week? Being the master, he had to withdraw in his home country. He's out of the field. What? No. Are you sure about that? I don't. Think He's so. in. He was a couple under early. Yeah, no. Hideki's two under through seventeen right now. Then ESPN.com lied to me. It said like two weeks ago that he was withdrawing. No, that was no, the that, other was, the that was the British Open. That was the British Open. Yeah, that was the British. Yeah. <laughs> this clearly shows you how closely I'm following the Olympics. So, on that note. We are going to say goodbye here on the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. Write reviews, leave your ratings, subscribe. And yeah, make sure that you hit them straight, play fair, and as always, tip your waitresses. Let's hear your uh, let's hear your comments on your golf gambling games out there, fellas. I want to hear some good stories. Yeah, hit us up. Four at altshotpod.com. Uh, what games do you like, what you don't like, and uh, hope, to, hope to hear from you soon. 